All right, let's get started here studying God's Word this morning. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 1 through 12 as we get started uh, this morning. It says in verse 1 of chapter 4, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us but life in you. May God bless the reading of his word. If you received a bulletin, uh, one of the programs, as you uh, came in, or like I said earlier, you can access it on your phone on our website. If you turn that over to the back, there are some notes that we're going to use as we go through our time this morning. And I want to direct you to two things in particular at the top of those sermon notes. The first is a memory verse that we have been working on at Emmaus and we will continue to work on for years to come. But it's 2 Corinthians 4, 5. And my hope is that every one of us, from the very youngest to the very oldest and everybody in between, would be able to put this verse in our heart, that it would be at the core of who we are, not just as Emmaus, but who we are as followers of Christ. And so to that end, we are going to practice this memory verse together this morning. 2 Corinthians 4, 5. The words are going to be up on the screen It's hard to see the screen. The words are on your bulletin in front of you. And we've practiced this a few months ago, so hopefully as we go through the lines, it will begin to come back to you. Just to remember, we've divided into five lines to make it a little bit easier to work on. So all kidding aside, this week, if it helps you to take this five lines, take the five days of the work week, and just memorize one line each day, do that. Use this as a way to put God's word in your life. Sometimes the hardest part of memorizing verses is remembering the first phrase, the first line, but when you get this, what we proclaim, and then we realize what we proclaim is not ourselves, so we don't talk about ourselves, but we want to talk about is Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves, so what's our role? Our role is to be servants for Jesus' sake. But there's nothing more important that we could do than begin to put God's word in our heart and our mind, and in particular, thinking about that verse. Because we want that verse to shape who we are as, as a church family. This year, 
It's no surprise, it shouldn't sneak up on you because I say it almost every other week, but this year, Emmaus turns 30 years old as, as a church. And we have an opportunity, we're in the middle of an opportunity as a church that we celebrate all that God has done in Emmaus. His faithfulness, his goodness, the work that he's done, we don't forget that. We don't push that in the background. That, that's our foundation. That's God's goodness at work. And then we say, how can we build on that? What does it look like to take that and to continue to move forward? Emmaus for a long time now, I don't know exactly how long, but Emmaus for a long time now has had a tagline that says, building relationships with Jesus Christ and others. It's a great tagline. That's something we're not wanting to get rid of. We're not pushing that in the background. I mean, that's a, that's a fantastic statement. What I want us to do moving forward is building on that foundation, I want us to use as our purpose statement, as our mission, what we're driving at, a phrase that is on your notes, and it's the phrase that we exist to proclaim and display Jesus. So why do we exist? What is the purpose of Emmaus being here? What is the purpose of our lives as believers? It still remains equally true that we want to build relationships with Jesus Christ and others. That's a, that's a wonderful statement. It's at the core of what Emmaus has been a part of. Building on that, our mission statement is going to be that we exist to proclaim and display Jesus. This month, the month of May, we're going through a series of sermons that we're calling E-May-Us. If you weren't here last week, you missed out how proud I was of that sermon title. But, uh, E-May us. All through the month of May, what does it mean for us to be a church family that seeks to proclaim and display Jesus? So we're going to lay the foundation for that this week. Next week, we're going to dig into the specifics of how we want to do that. And then for the last three weeks, we're going to think about what does Scripture say about being a church and how do we fit in what the Lord is doing. So this morning, we're going to focus on the phrase that we exist to proclaim and display Jesus. And we're using 2 Corinthians chapter 4 as our foundation for that. So let's get started here. The first point, proclaim and display Jesus, we're going to focus on the word proclaim. Look in verse 1 there of chapter 4. Paul says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. What ministry is he talking about? He's talking about at the end of chapter 3, which we're going to look at in just a moment, but the end of chapter 3 His ministry is a ministry of the Holy Spirit, not a ministry of words written on stone, not pointing back to the old covenant, to Moses. His ministry is a ministry of the Spirit. He has been inspired and empowered by the Spirit to proclaim this word. And it's a word that Jesus Christ is Lord, and specifically that as Jesus Christ is Lord, he brings freedom. That in Christ we have perfect freedom. And so he's proclaiming this. He's saying this is the ministry. So we're not going to give up. This is too important. We know that the Lord gives us freedom. He gives us victory. And we're going to proclaim that. Verse 2. But even though this is our ministry, we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. When Paul says that he is going to proclaim Jesus, he says he's going to do it authentically. He's going to do it in such a way that he's not trying to distort the message. He's not trying to deceive anyone. He's not trying to pull the wool over anybody's eyes and just get them to make a decision. He's going to be authentic about this. When it says there in verse 2, when it gives the word disgraceful, this is a word that at its core 
gives off the idea of do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want to. In other words, Paul says when we speak about Jesus, we're not going to do it just however we want to, whenever we want to, for whatever reason we want to. There's a way to speak about Christ that's appropriate. There's a way to present this message that honors the message, that honors the Lord. And so Paul says we're not going to use disgraceful ways. He uses another word there, underhanded ways. This is the idea of something happening under the table. This is the idea of someone being deceived about what's happening. And Paul says when we speak about Jesus, we don't have to speak about Jesus that way. We speak about Jesus in a straightforward, plain manner. We talked about this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul uses a lot of the same language that he uses here in 2 Corinthians 4. But when he proclaims Jesus, he's going to do it authentically. And then the other way he does it, he does it openly or publicly. Look down there at the end of verse 2. He says, we're not going to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. When Paul speaks about Jesus, he doesn't have to whisper. He doesn't have to go into a back room and tell somebody in a way that's going to trick them because he's worried about it being public. He says, let this be public. This is about Jesus' life, it's about his death, it's about his resurrection. All of these things, when we think about Jesus, happen publicly. And so Paul says, I don't have to go into a back room to share this. I don't have to whisper, I don't have to feel like when I'm presenting the good news of Christ that I'm deceiving anyone. I'm just going to be authentic, and I'm going to be open with them. Why? Verse 4 tells us why he can do this. Because even if our gospel is veiled, so even if someone is not able to see and understand this, it is veiled to those who are perishing, because in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, this is a very important point to understand why Paul is focusing on this here. He says that when we proclaim Jesus, we're going to do it authentically and we're going to do it openly because what people need is not a sales job. They need a spiritual answer to a spiritual problem. And so if we present this in just a human way, we've taken a person's greatest need and we've tried to answer it with a human message in a human way. And Paul says a person's problem is not that they're a bad person, they need to become good. It's that their mind is veiled, that they can't see the goodness of Christ. And no matter how many human words I speak into that situation, I'm not going to be able to solve that person's problem. Many of you, and I'll put myself at the top of the list, one of our personality struggles is many of us want to be fixers. So you see a problem, you want to fix it. Every husband's nightmare is he sees a problem in the situation, maybe in the marriage, and he offers a solution only to find out that his wife was not looking for a solution. She was just looking for someone to listen to her in that situation, and we felt like we were supposed to fix the problem trying to do the right thing because many of us are fixers. We see a situation, and we want to fix it. And Paul is saying here, a person's greatest need to know and worship Christ is not something that we can fix on our own strength. 
in our own ways because it is veiled. And when he says veiled, he's specifically pointing back to the end of chapter 3. So scroll up in your phone or, or turn just to the end of chapter 3. So you probably don't even have to turn any pages. But you go back to chapter 3, verse 16. And look at what Paul says here. He says, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. No longer do you live behind the veil of the law. No longer do you live behind the veil of this guilt. But you have been set free to live life. You've been set free. We all, with unveiled face, are able to behold the glory of the Lord And then notice, because we're able to see Christ, we're also being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes where? Where, How do you get this? It comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Paul is very clear here that our greatest need is to be able to see Jesus Christ, and as we see him for who he truly is, that we are transformed into his image. One of the things I love most about Emmaus is just our name, Emmaus, that comes from Luke chapter 24. And we're not going to look at this passage this morning because of time. We'll get to it in a couple of weeks. But in Luke 24, the whole story there is that some people are around Jesus. They're spending time with Jesus, but they don't see him. They don't recognize him for who he truly is. And then at some point in the story, their eyes are open, and they are able to see Jesus. We live in a part of the world where most people have heard the name of Jesus. They have some association with Jesus. Maybe they went to vacation Bible school when they were little. Maybe they were drugged to church when they were little. Maybe they've just been around church because they've had Christian friends. A lot of people in this part of the world, and this may be true for you, they know about Jesus, but they've never seen Jesus for who he truly is. That he has come so that they might have salvation, so they might have freedom, so they might have true life. That he is the one who brings all of those things perfectly and completely. We live in a part of the world where a lot of people know about Jesus, but not very many people have truly seen Jesus. And so as Emmaus, as the purpose of our church, we want to proclaim Jesus. We want to say that is our message, and it's something that we have to do with words We do it authentically, and we do it openly. Now, this is a fine line to walk, because at this point, you get into really hard questions, like, should churches be involved in marketing? Should we present it in a way that is culturally compelling, that's culturally relevant? How much of this do we do when we speak about Jesus? And this is a fine line, because you have some churches that will say anything that even slightly looks like the church or looks like we're trying to promote this message is wrong. You have other churches that are no holds barred, do anything to proclaim the message of Jesus. Like a lot of situations, I think the answer is probably somewhere there in the middle, and it's an answer that we have to find being patient with one another, working together as a church, saying, Lord, how do we proclaim Jesus in a way that's appropriate, authentic, public, but doesn't make a mockery of who he is and what he's really about. How do we do this in a way that's honest and and straightforward? So I want you to know from the very beginning, when we talk about we exist to proclaim and display Jesus, when we talk about proclaiming, we're talking about using our words. There's a man named, uh, a man from church history named St. Francis of Assisi, and he is quoted 
as saying, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Now, whether or not St. Francis ever said that, and how we're supposed to understand it, the poor guy has been terribly misused and misquoted over, over the centuries. The idea that we would preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words, sounds good in theory, but it's terrible biblically. It just doesn't match up with anything that Scripture has to say. And I'm not blaming St. Francis. I think he's, his quote has been just twisted and misused. The point is, though, we have a message, and it's a message to be spoken, a message to be proclaimed, a message to be given to the world, and we want to be about doing that. If we're going to be about anything at Emmaus, if our lives are going to count for anything, they have to be about proclaiming Jesus, speaking about who Jesus is and what he's done in our lives. But it doesn't stop there. We proclaim Jesus, we speak about him, but we also display Jesus with our lives. So get down to verse 5. Verse 5 is the one that we memorized earlier. It says, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. So that's the first part. We're not talking about ourselves, we're talking about Jesus. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. What role do we play? As we proclaim Jesus, the role that we play is we are going to be servants. We are going to serve others. Why? Because this is exactly what Jesus did. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. It says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Many times when you talk to people about Jesus, who are not Christians, they are perfectly fine with referring to Jesus as a good teacher. You read magazines, you watch the History Channel certain times a year, you watch the Discovery Channel, you talk to people. Many people are open to the idea that Jesus was a good teacher. But what we know to be true from Scripture is he did not come just as a good teacher. He spoke words, and we want to share those words with others, but he also came to give us life. And to give his life as a ransom for many so that we could be saved. And we follow his model. We say we're not only going to speak this message with our words, but we're going to show it with our lives. Down there in verse 7, how do we show this message with our lives? We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Which means that the best way that we display Jesus to the world around us is as in those times that we're weakest. It's with those times that we're suffering and struggling and barely making it through. It's those times that we are most clearly able to display Jesus to the world around us. Let me set you free from something on this. When we talk about Because you might say to yourself, I really, really want my life to count for the things of Christ. Whether you're a graduate, whether you're a senior adult, whether you're a family trying to hold on day after day, you really want your life to count for the things of Christ. You want to proclaim and display Jesus. If we're not careful, though, we'll say, I will be able to do that when I get my life together. You know, when I get my stuff together when I get past this circumstance that I'm in, when I get my job or my health, and when, when I get these things together and we get into a better place in life, then we're really going to be able to display Jesus. 
don't miss that that type of thinking is actually a complete lie from the enemy. Because it's in those times when you don't have your life together, when you're barely holding on, when you're suffering or struggling or going through a particular circumstances, it's in that time that we most clearly display Jesus. Get rid of the idea completely that I've got to get myself together, get my stuff together, because then I'll be able to do something. God has called you right in the middle of the situation you're in to be able to display Jesus to the world around you. Because we keep going here on here in verse 8. Notice what it says. Verse 8 is crucial to understand the way this works. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed. I have no idea what's going on in life. I get confused about life, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Every one of those, you have to focus on the but not. I'm barely holding on, but I still have hope. Our family looks like we're about to break down, but there's still tomorrow. My health is on the rocks, but Jesus is still good. Every one of these situations, we're able to point beyond it because it's only through God's power that we're able to do those things. Someone looks at your life, you've got everything together, your life looks easy, everything looks good, and you say, well, I'm a Christian. And they say, well, obviously that worked out well for you. You know, if my life was easy, I'd probably be a Christian too. But if your family's having trouble, if your health's not good, if your job's in a hard spot, and you say, and I'm a Christian, they look and say, huh, I wonder about that. Why are they able to keep going? Why are they able to not give up? Where does this hope come from? This is what I like to refer to as the, uh, uh, as the touchdown celebration Christianity. So I hate to judge any professional athletes because I'm far from a professional athlete and I don't know what it is to be in the public eye. But you know, you see the professional athlete the quarterback throws the pass, receiver catches it, runs in for a touchdown, and the quarterback inevitably points to the sky, you know, or after the game. I thank God that he was able to, to help me do that. Now, it may be perfectly genuine. Once again, I don't want to be the, the distant Monday morning quarterback who's judging somebody's heart. It may be perfectly consistent. But just one time, here's what I've wanted to see happen. Receiver breaks to the outside, quarterback throws it, he missed the coverage. Cornerback, you know, safety comes in, intercepts the ball, and the quarterback points up to the sky and says, thank you, Lord, for helping me learn that lesson in that moment, not to throw it there. You never see that. I've never, never one time seen anybody thank the Lord for an interception, but they always thank the Lord for a touchdown. If we're not careful, that actually reflects how most of us think about Christianity or think about the Lord's work in our life. X happened, and it was good, so God was at work in my life. Y happened, and it seemed hard, so God must not be at work in my life. Except we know that God's at work in both of those situations. And oftentimes, it's the hardest situation where God's power is displayed most clearly. You keep going there, verse 10. Paul says he's always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. 
Don't get me wrong. Paul is not living in some sort of defeated mentality. He's not living in a defeated mentality. He has the hope of the resurrection, and that hope is obvious in his life every day. But he's saying that the hope of the resurrection, the victory he has in Christ, is present while he's suffering, while he's taking up his cross daily. What this becomes, what this becomes is a complete rejection of anything that looks like the health and wealth gospel, anything that looks like the prosperity gospel. This is the idea that if I do something for the Lord, if the Lord is really on my side, then I'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. I'll be able to especially, here's where it becomes very dangerous, because it it becomes this idea that oftentimes preachers who have this approach push their message to the people who are lowest on the socioeconomic ladder. And they're going at people who want to rise in power and in wealth and saying, if you'll give the seed money or if you'll do this, then you'll become more powerful. The whole picture of Christianity, though, is not that we would rise socially and economically. It's that we would die to ourselves every day. And so this health and wealth gospel, this idea that I only display Jesus when things are good, is a total rejection of everything that the gospel is about. That we don't buy our way out, we don't earn our way out of this low standing. It's only Christ who gives life. It's only him who's able to change our lives. And so when we say we want to proclaim and display Jesus, we mean everything that we face. Every moment of the day, every week of our life, we're going to say, I want Jesus to work through me. I want him to be able to work through me in such a way that other people see his goodness and his hope and his salvation. Go back to verse five just for a second. This is the third point on your notes. So we proclaim Jesus with our words, we display Jesus with our lives, and we need both of those. The word and is underlined in your notes. You go back to verse five, that memory verse. What we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. When we talk about being a church, when we talk about being Christians, do we need to speak about Jesus or do we need to display Jesus with our lives? Well, the answer is obviously both. We need to do both. We want to speak about him and we want to display him. This is the work that God does in our lives as we grow in our faith, when our lives begin to match up with the words that we say that are true, if you made a list of the top things that push people away from church or push people away from the Lord, probably at the very top would be hypocrisy. I don't know that to be true. I don't have any data to say that. But if we took a poll this morning, my guess is hypocrisy would be at the very top of that. Now, in one respect, we look at our lives and we say, you know what, we're not perfect. Sometimes we say one thing and we do another. We admit that we struggle, but we are aiming. Our focus is such that we want our words and our actions to match up because we need words to explain our actions and we need actions to validate our words. I might have put that phrasing on your notes. I can't remember or not, but we need words to explain our actions and we need actions to validate our words. People will begin to trust us. People will begin to be curious about the message when they see those things lining up. The danger comes, and my generation is is particularly 
on the edge of this, especially with social justice movements, which are very good and very important. But if we're not careful, we spend so much time doing things, helping others, serving others, that we never actually speak about the hope that we have in Christ. So it's all about doing something. If, if good works were enough to transform a community and a group of people, Bay St. Louis, Mississippi, and Moore, Oklahoma would be the brightest lights for Christ anywhere on the planet. Okay, so let me, let me back up and say that again. If good works alone were enough to completely transform a community, Bay St. Louis, Mississippi, where I was previously as the pastor, which was ground zero for the eye of Hurricane Katrina 10 years ago, and Moore, Oklahoma, which has seen its own tragedies from 99 on, and even before 99, but especially from 99 on, so many good deeds have been done in this community. So many incredible service projects. And to God be the glory, put Emmaus at the top of that list, that we've been able to do some amazing things. But we recognize that serving someone, doing good for someone, doesn't ultimately bring transformation in that person's life. Especially if while we do good, we fail to speak of the hope that we have in Christ. We always want to be proclaiming and displaying Jesus. Just so I'm not misunderstood, I could not be more thankful to be the pastor of a church that has done what Emmaus has done over the last 30 years in serving people, caring for people, doing good. I hope we continue to do that and do even more. And at the same time, as clearly and openly and publicly as we can, that we proclaim Jesus as the hope of salvation. Those things aren't diametrically opposed. They have to go together. That's how the Lord works in people's lives. We're going to proclaim and display Jesus. Let me give you a couple of verses that help make sense of this. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. It should be on the screen. Yeah, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. In your hearts, set apart or honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who ask you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Our goal is that we would do good things for people, that we would care for people, that we would serve people, that we display Jesus in such a way that they ask, why are you doing this? Why would you do this? Why, why would you even care about me? When we were in Bay St. Louis, Amanda had helped start a ministry that reached out to kids who were in trouble with the law and they would provide uh, programs for these kids and get to know them. Once they got past the fact that the kids were sure that they were undercover cops, once they got past that part, the thing that the kids couldn't understand is, why would you care about me? Why would you love me? Why would you do this for us for free? That becomes an open door for talking about the goodness of Christ, to talk about the hope that we have in Christ. Every time that you have a chance to display Jesus to the world around you, it provides the opportunity that someone would ask you, why are you doing this? And that's your chance to proclaim Jesus, to say, this is the reason for the hope that I have. Another verse about this, and this is, just to prepare you, this is a painful verse to look at, but we need to be aware of it. James chapter 2. I know some of our Sunday school classes have done James recently, or studies. James chapter 2. Verses 14 through 17. 
What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So this is the opposite problem. This is that we do all this speaking about Jesus, but then when it comes to displaying Jesus, we don't have anything to offer. We say, well, just come and hear the next Bible study. And someone says, but I really need help. And you say, "Uh, we don't really provide that kind of help. We just do Bible studies. Well, what kind of Bible study is that? What kind of faith is that if it doesn't work itself out? So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to proclaim Jesus or display Jesus? Both. We proclaim Jesus so that they would hear the reason for the hope that we have. We display Jesus so people would see that he is good, that he's at work in their life, that he cares about them. Here's the cool thing about this. In a church like this, there are going to be some word people. God has given you the gift of speaking. Don't look at anybody next to you that they've had the gift of speaking. But God has given you the gift to be able to speak about his word or to speak about the things of Christ. Some of you, God has given you the gift of serving. You're more of a serving person. We need both of those at work in a church. We want both of those to be at work in every one of our lives. We need both of those at work in our church. Some people, and this is especially a guy issue at this point, but some guys are invited into a Bible study, and they're sitting in a circle with a book open in front of them. For a lot of guys, that has been their nightmare in life since they were in kindergarten. That they were in a room the door was closed and a book was open in front of them. We just shut down. Like, it's just, it, it becomes a nightmare trap. But you take that same guy and you put him out on a construction project or you put him out on a sports field and he just completely opens up. This, these words begin to tumble out that you're like, I've never heard that guy say any words. And now he starts playing ball or doing construction and, and he just opens up. He's a totally different guy. God has created every one of us differently. This is the beauty of the body of Christ. We need actions, and we need words, and we need both of those to be able to go together so that, number four on your notes, the word Jesus is underlined, so that we always, always, always are pointing toward Jesus. Verse 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, For God who said... Let light shine out of darkness. So that's an obvious reference back to the creation story. He's, he, Paul is picking up, Paul loves to do this. He picks up on this creation language and then he drives it forward to make another point. Let light shine out of darkness. He has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Kind of behind the scenes in this verse is a verse from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, that's up on the screen. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. We know from the New Testament that Jesus is light, that he is the light of the world. Here's the interesting thing. If you know the story of the Apostle Paul, who was called Saul at one time, Do you remember how his conversion experience happened? 
He was on the road to Damascus, and what happened to him? A light shone into his life. What Paul is doing here is he's picking up not only on the Old Testament, Genesis and Isaiah, but he's picking up on his own conversion experience to say, I know what it is for the light of Jesus to shine into the darkest situation you could ever imagine. So our goal as a church is to proclaim and display Jesus so that light would be able to shine into dark places. Here's why that's gut-riching for a pastor. That means that our primary goal is not to proclaim and display Emmaus. Our goal is to proclaim and display Jesus. And that's a battle that we all fight, especially when you find yourself as the pastor, because you're saying it's more important that we point to Jesus than that we make ourselves popular, more in number doing more things. We would rather see that happen, but equally so, it's incredibly freeing. I put a phrase or two phrases on your notes uh, from a guy named Larry Osborne, who's a pastor out in Southern California, and I have thought about these phrases so much in the last few months, but it's just the simple fact that we have nothing to prove, no one to impress just Jesus to serve. Nothing to prove. We don't have to prove anything as a church. We don't have to prove anything as individuals. We have no one to impress. Our goal as Emmaus is not to be impressive. It's not our goal. Our goal is to serve Jesus, that we would proclaim and display Jesus, which means that the main question we're asking is not how is Emmaus doing, but how is God's kingdom doing? in this area. There could be a situation in which God is moving in a powerful way at another church. And if you're not careful as the pastor, here's what you start asking. I wonder what they're doing. Why are all the people going over there? What's happening over there? Why are we not doing that? Which then you find deep in your heart you were really more concerned with proclaiming and displaying Emmaus than you were proclaiming and displaying Jesus. But when we get to the core of it, we realize we have nothing to prove, no one to impress, just Jesus to serve. It sets us free to be exactly who God has created us to be. It sets your family free to do what God is leading you to do. It sets you free to say, God, who have you created me to be, and how can I live this out every day of my life? That we would point to Jesus, that he is the one who brings life, he is the one who brings salvation. As we get ready to wrap up this morning, I want you to know my heart. I could not be more excited or more thankful to be the pastor of Emmaus Baptist Church. For the 30 years leading up to this moment and for however many years we have in the future, that we would be able to proclaim and display Jesus so that light would shine into dark places. Let's pray together as we get ready to wrap up this morning. We do this from time to time, but we're not going to have a traditional come down front invitation this morning. Many times we'll do that, but we're not going to do that this morning. If God's leading you to join Emmaus, to be a part of this church, we're going to have a traditional invitation next Sunday on Mother's Day, the week after, a way to respond. But right now, this morning, Let me ask you to look at your own life 
and to ask, am I proclaiming and displaying Jesus? When people look at my life, the things that I talk about, the things that I do, do they point toward Jesus? Graduates, as you guys get ready to move into the next season of life, make it your goal that you would speak about and you would show Jesus to the world around you. We need words to explain to people our actions, and we need actions to be able to validate and back up our words to know that they were true. Now let me ask us as well to look at our hearts and to say, are we pointing toward Jesus, or is something else in the place of Jesus? So kids who are in elementary, you guys can do this with me. Think in your mind with your eyes closed. Think about proclaim and display and then draw an underline. What goes in that blank? What do we talk about? What do we show? Whatever goes after that, whatever goes in that underlying space is our God. It is our idol. May God bring us to a point that our words and our actions always point people toward Jesus. That they don't have to prove anything, they don't have to get their lives together first, that we come just as we are, and in Christ we find hope and salvation and freedom. If you're here this morning and you are desperate for freedom, if you're desperate for light to break into the darkness in your life, after the service, I'll be right here at the front. I would be honored to talk to you about that, to pray with you. Do not live in the darkness of sin. Do not put anything else in the place of Jesus. He is worthy of worship. He's worthy of our lives. He's worthy of everything that we have to give that we would proclaim and display him above all else. And Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.